Lord God, thank you for your word. We stand in your grace. I pray, Spirit of God, that right now you would illuminate these words. Do your thing. We submit. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are in the sixth chapter of Romans. And we just finished Adam 1 and Adam 2, and we're getting into this call, and Paul is writing about this struggle that he's anticipating in the early church. And it seems to me, as I was reading this, a couple things hit me. First, Paul breaks up this passage into two parts. And he uses rhetoric to talk about it, and he uses this rhetoric where he asks this rhetorical question, and then he says, by no means, exclamation point. Do not live in this old way he's calling to you and to me. Now, this may offend some of you, so prepare yourselves. But I, I believe this is a picture of a call that we need to embrace this new, what I would call, operating system. Anybody remember the computer age before the mouse came out? Remember when I was a kid, my dad had this computer, and it had MS-DOS, and I figured out how to like enter in like the codes to get to the games, and we would play a game on there, and then one day he brought home a new computer with a new operating system called Windows, and it had this mouse. And it was magical. You could like move the mouse around and all you had to do was click on things. You didn't have to remember all this code and all these special things to get into. And, and then I, I, I was a PC guy. I was a Windows guy and I, I went through college and, and I loved them. And, but I kept getting these viruses and these updates and printers had all these issues. And then one day I accepted Apple into my heart. And I got an iPhone, and I got a, I got a, I know, you, you may be offended. And all of a sudden, I found this new way of living, this new simplicity. But I found myself, when I first got that Apple computer, that everything were in different places. It's like it was a totally different way of thinking. And where was my computer, and where was all this other stuff that I had learned, all these Years that I had, and I had to spend all of this time relearning how to use my computer. And I believe here in this moment, Paul, as he's saying, by no means, he's talking to the, the early Christian, the young Christian who just discovered new life in Christ, who just confessed faith in Jesus, and they're still struggling because they're, they're living under an old operating system. But they have this new operating system that has brought this clarity and this resurrecting life to them. And here I believe Paul is writing to you and writing to me and calling us to live under this new operating system, or in short, if you were a tech guy, which I'm not, you would say a new OS. You need a new OS, you need a new operating system, you need to live under this new OS. 
So we see this here in the opening four verses. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Remember, he just said that grace abounded. And so he's anticipating somebody saying, Well, if grace is abounding, I can just sin all I want. Because grace is that much better. And, and Paul says, By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? you got a new operating system. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, this is the, the baptism of the Spirit, the moment when you have confessed faith in Jesus and, and, and you have become a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come, we were baptized also into his death. Something died in that baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, hear this, might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. As we see this, this opening argument, it seems to me that Paul is writing to the believer about gospel life about this newness of life, and he wants you to understand this big idea. Knowing who you were and are controls how you live. Knowing who you were and are controls how you live. Circle that word, controls. Knowing who you were and are controls how you live. In the following verses, in verses 5 through 15, Paul writes about this. And first, he's going to get into the were. It's important as we think about this new operating system that we don't forget who we were, who you were. Look at what he says here. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be with, united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, who we were, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So he would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And Paul unpacks this. And then in verse, I would skip ahead to verse 11. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin. Know who you were. This is a present imperative. Moo, one of the commentators says, this is a call to constantly view ourselves in this light. And so hear this. The first thing that Paul wants you to know in this first section of who you were is you were a sinner. Write that down. S-I-N-N-E-R, sinner. This is who you were. Or in the notes, the printed notes, it says this is not who you are. This is who 
you were. Remember, this is writing to an audience of people who are Christians. They are, they are people who have confessed their faith in Jesus, the second Adam, who have been recreated, redeemed, reborn in Christ. They are in Christ. So they're looking at their life, they're looking at their struggles, and we're recognizing that knowing who you were controls how you live. Knowing who you were controls how you live. There's, I think in church, sometimes we miss this. I'm guilty of this. Because there's a difference between battling sin, recognizing that sin is still something that I must battle in life, and having an identity as a sinner. Because we believe that in Christ. All of Romans that we just read says that all who have put their faith in Christ, it says that you're no longer a sinner. That's no longer who you are. You are now the righteousness of God. And I think for some of us, we have a hard time grasping this. We want to hold on to this identity of I am a sinner. This is who I am. Now, don't get, don't get it twisted. Don't go home and say, Logan said that he never sins. I didn't say that. Trust me. Ask my family. I do sin. But my identity, because of my faith in Jesus, is not a sinner. Now, hear this. A sinner is who I was. A sinner is what I was born into. If you think on this, I, I found some, I thought, helpful quotes about this. One is from uh, this guy, uh, John Piper. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He said this, Paul calls Christians saints. That is, holy ones, consecrated ones, set-apart ones, being made holy ones, saved, set-apart for God, walking in the light. He calls Christian saints 40 times in his letters. But he virtually never uses the noun sinner to describe Christians. You might think there are one or two exceptions. I would argue probably not. Dane Ortland, in an article called In Christ, I'm Not a Sinner, I, th I thought wrote this really eloquently. He said, I am a sinner. I sin. Not just in the past, but in the present. But, hear this, in Christ, I'm not a sinner, but cleansed, whole. And as I step out into my day in soul calm because of that free gift of cleansing, I find that actually strangely starting, startingly, startlingly, I begin to live out practically what I already am positionally. I delight to love others. It takes effort and requires the sobering of suffering, but love cannot help but be kindled by gospel rest. Sinner. Knowing, remember this, knowing who you were controls how you live. Sinner, this is who I was. Heard it said, as you think about the, the difference between being a sinner and struggling with sin, do you call yourself a liar because sometimes you lie? 
There's still this struggle, but it's different. And Paul is saying that something has happened in you. And in chapter 7, hear this, if you're wondering, oh man, this is all about works righteousness and everybody needs to be perfect, just keep reading. Chapter 7, Paul's going to talk about our struggle, the believer's struggle with sin. But there's something that God is doing in you where you are no longer defined as a sinner. And that word sinner can mean all sorts of things for me. It's meant this identity as one who always needs to win. If you know me, you know that I am uh, pretty competitive. I don't like the game of golf because I'm not any good at it. So I don't play it because I don't like to lose. I love to play board games. This last week we were at uh, our yearly beach camping trip. And there's this, this culture sometimes among some of my family members that they're really there to play the games just to kind of like hang out. And I'm there to win. I'm there to go out on you. I'm there to ruin your day and maybe help me sleep well at night. Now, this is a part of, of I've learned over the years that God has been doing in me that, that, that I struggle with some of this, and there's, there's a, some, a piece of this that is sinful in me. This last week, we also have this yearly tradition of spike ball tournaments on the beach. Some of our, my family members, I won't name them, are retired because of injuries. And at one point, I was pretty good at spike ball, but this... Last week, I got to experience the humiliation of losing to my younger brothers multiple times. And I was thinking about this passage and thinking about this idea that I'm no longer a sinner, and I felt the Lord doing something in me this week. I had this moment when um, defeat was inevitable, and I could have acted out in a way that was sinful. And I remember in that moment thinking, I could throw this spike ball into the ocean and walk off. <laughs> but then remembering that this is not who I am. This is not who I am. Now, do I still want to win? Do I still work really hard? Yes, but this, uh, Christ is doing something in me. And I was able to, to shake my brother's hand and say, good job, you got lucky. We'll learn more about sanctification in the coming verses. <laughs> but I think for some of us, before we get into who you are, you need to spend some time thinking about who you're not. For some of us, there's this, we, we have developed this identity of, oh, I, I'm, an, I'm an addict to this. I can't stop buying. My life is all about my business. I'm, 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 I'm a wealthy businessman. I'm a great worker. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a failed father. I'm an unfaithful spouse. I'm surrounded by broken relationships. Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. I've, I've let down time and time again. And Paul here is saying, that's not who you are. It's not just about sins of 
commission. It's also about, about sins that we don't do. It's also about, about idolatry and our tendency to, to let our pride, to let our ego, to let ourselves want to be on the throne. This is sin, and God is saying, Paul is saying, this is not the operating system you live under anymore. Hear this. You were like this at one point, but you are no longer a sinner. You are no longer a sinner. Someone here needs to hear that today. If you have put your faith in Christ, through his work, God does not look at you and say sinner. He looks at you. Hear this. He says saint. Because of what Christ has done. So who you were was a sinner. Who you are is a saint. Who you are is a saint. This is who you are. Now, I'm not talking about a little halo and, and people pray to you or anything like that. I'm talking about the biblical word saint that is used throughout the scriptures that is referencing the, the, the people of God, the people of the kingdom of God. And Paul is writing to the people of God, and he's saying, you're not sinners, you are saints. This is your operating system, and you're not saints because of what you do. You're saints, as we talked about last week, because of Christ's righteousness working in you. Do you hear this? In our, in our notes, it says, this is who you are. As I was reading this, I realized Paul never actually writes you here. He says, we. This is who we are. Find this really important in our me-centered theology that we recognize that Paul is writing to the church and he's saying, This is our identity. And he, and he unpacks this in these verses. We confess this whenever we recite the Apostles' Creeds. What does it say? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. The communion of saints that I believe that we are, all of you, I know, it's hard, you look around and think, wow, some interesting looking saints here. <laughs> but yet, there's this reminder to the church that the identity of the people of God are not sinners, but saints. First John 3, he writes this, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I love the NIV, it says, and that is what you are. I think for some of us, we need to be reminded today that this is who God says we are according to his word. There's this great book, one of the highest selling books of all time besides the Bible called The Pilgrim's Progress, written by a guy named John Bunyan. It's a story, it's a beautiful story of the Christian life. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to, 
to find one in, in a language, some, some, of it, some of it's old language, and you can find all sorts of different translations. And I was reminded there's this moment, in this, it, it's, it's a story about the, the Christian life. And there's this moment in the Christian life where Christian is in the valley of humiliation. And he encounters this adversary named Apollyon. And he's this horrible, evil ruler who once had dominion over Christian. But Christian has become a part of the prince. And Apollyon has this conflict with him. And at one point, he starts to accuse him and he starts to remind Christian of all the things that Christian had done, all the ways throughout the pilgrim's progress that he had failed, the ways that he had tarried, the ways that he had fallen off the path, the, the decisions that he had made that were disobedient and against the ways of the prince. And he starts to just, he just starts to accuse and slander and beat up Christian. And I love this response. He says this. All this is true, admitted Christian, and much more that you've left out. But the prince that I serve is merciful and ready to forgive. As we reflect on these truths, I believe, church, we need to recognize that there is an accuser out there. The scriptures tell us that Satan, his name is the accuser. And he will speak lies. He will accuse you. He will, he will speak lies to you about who you are. That you do not belong. That the, that sin from your past or that, 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 that ongoing struggle or that broken relationship or that thing that happened to you is your identity. But I want you to hear this. The Bible tells us about what happens to that accuser. And Revelation says this, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has what? been hurled down. There will come a day when all is made right. But it's important that we recognize that there's also this accusation coming. And I think for many of us, remember this, knowing who you were and who you are controls how you live. And if you get it twisted under the old operating system and you think, oh yeah, I'm still a sinner, I'm still defined by these struggles, I'm still defined by this circumstance, you, you, you're not living in who you are. Paul here is saying, be who Christ made you. Stop living in denial. As you look at this, I believe that there's a few implications for how we, what we do with sin. You may be asking your question, well then, Pastor Logan, I get that, that's all theoretical, but what do we do with the sin? What do we do with the struggle? Well, I believe in this text, Paul gives us two imperatives and one reminder for this new operating system. And this new operating system, this OS, 
The first, for the O, is ownership. Ownership. Look at verse 12. Paul says, let not sin reign. Notice what he does here. Let not sin reign, therefore, in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Look at verse 13. It says this. Look at what's happening here. Don't miss this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin, underline this, will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. There's this ownership. He's calling for the Christian to say, sin is personified here as a slave master. And we are born under this personified slave master, and before Christ, we are slaves to it. We are dead in it. But Paul now says there's this authority that he says is given to you where you can say to sin, you're not my master. And I think sometimes, especially in our reform circles, we get so caught up in faith, which is central to everything, that we miss the, the outworkings of our faith, which is this ownership of, of, the, of the, the authority of Christ in our lives over sin. And for some of us, we need to take ownership. For some of us, and I, here in Romans, Paul is saying, these members of your body, don't let them. He's saying, these little compromises that we're making, why are you doing that? That's not who you are. Don't fall into that. Take ownership. Our teaching team, Brian, sent over a quote I thought was really good. It's not on the screen, so hear this. He says, our ethics are an expression of our relationship with the risen Christ. If we fail morally, it is not because the needed power was not available. It is because it was not appropriated. Remember the story of the Exodus? The story of the Exodus and the people of God, the Israelites in the book of Exodus is really our story. It's a story of a people who were enslaved in Egypt and God comes and brings Moses, a type of Christ as a, to, to bring salvation and redemption and to bring the people out into the promised land. And yet there's this reality that the people wanna go back to Egypt. that we have this tendency to want to go back. And Paul is saying, we need to, we're a new operating system. Don't go back to that old way. That's not who you are. That, that, that's the way that leads to death. You are one who lives in a way that leads to life. Don't miss this. Eugene Peterson he passed away just a year ago. One of his great achievements in writing was he wrote the message translation, a, paraphr a paraphrased translation of the whole Bible. 
And I love the way that he interprets this passage in verses 12 through 14, this imperative. Look at what he says here. As you think about taking ownership of sin, he says this. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Hear this. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. As Galatians 5 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What do we do with sin? We've got to own it. We've got to recognize that Christ has called us by his authority to stop compromising, to pursue communities of grace, And this is an ongoing process for the saints. Because we have this tendency to default, and I'm sure many of you, as you think about your life and you think about your practices, this is a great reminder that we need to be constantly taking ownership, and there's some, there's some as, we, as we examine ourselves, some ways that we need to say, oh, I've started to drift back into Egypt. I need to, to, to have better practices, better habits that are going to help me to be who God has called me to be. Now what I love about this new operating system is it's really not about you. Is the problem with this OS system is we spend so much time thinking about all the things that we're supposed to do that actually that can, that can turn upside down if we don't miss the second piece of the operating system and that is surrender. There's this paradox It's been said, or, or maybe people think when we read Romans 6, that Romans 6 is about no longer being slaves. But actually, what Paul is saying here is that everyone is a slave to something. We all serve something. And what he's saying here is that true freedom, true liberty, is found in being a slave to righteousness. He's saying it's not about you truly just being yourself. It's about you having the freedom, hear this, to obey. Because of this new operating system, you and me, beloved, have the freedom to obey and to walk as God created us to walk. This is why he says here, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. This new operating system is about taking ownership and surrendering to King Jesus. And those are not in conflict. They are perfect parallels. Look at what he says. He says, I'm speaking in human terms as he writes about this call. 
because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Yes, we need to take ownership, let not sin therefore reign, but second, we need to surrender. Maybe you're asking, how do I surrender? Do I just sing, I surrender all, all day? That might work. It's been said that the little habits that we make, the little rhythms that we establish in our life inform the way that we live. Remember what I said, knowing who you were and who you are informs, controls the way you live. And I believe that for some of us, this is not just about taking ownership and saying that I'm not a sinner. I'm not gonna be that person that Satan says I am or that the world or my flesh says I am. I'm gonna be of the spirit. And there's a, there's a peace to that. But secondly, there's a peace to surrendering and develop rhythms of devotion, rhythms of prayer. I would encourage you, think about your week. How have I created space for me to have rhythms of surrendering to King Jesus. I know for me, it's a constant battle with my phone. I'm constantly deleting social media. I delete Facebook, I delete Twitter, I'm good for a week and then I get bored and then all of a sudden I'm back on them. And then I delete those and then I'm reading ESPN and I'm reading every single article. And it's not bad necessarily but I find for me that I'm trying to develop rhythms and habits in my life of surrendering to God and being aware of paradise that we are invited into. And I believe here in Romans 6, Paul is urging the beloved, be who you are. It is miserable. It is miserable having a new operating system and trying to live under the old one. You get lost. It's like that text thread, you know, when you have a bunch of Apple friends and there's that one person who has an Android who turns the blue screen to a green screen. <laughs> we, we need to be people who are living in the rhythms of ownership and surrender. And finally, as you reflect on this, do not miss the reminder from Paul at the end with one of his most famous writings. Hear this, Jesus changes everything. Jesus changed everything and Jesus changes everything. He says that when we surrender, we are being a part of this. He uses this word sanctification. That is a word for change. That is believing that Jesus is changing me. He's doing a work in me. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For 
the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to what? Sanctification. And its end, eternal life. This morning, I just think some of us need to surrender. Some of us need to take some inventory and own some things and be who God is saying we are. And as you think on these two things, this new operating system, Beloved, this is true. Jesus really does change everything. The more that we surrender, the more that we work at owning this incredible authority he's given us, the more we find the new life and the flourishing life that he's called us to. And for some of us, many of us, we just need to step out of denial. Beloved, the reason why I get so excited sometimes up here and you feel like I'm yelling at you is because I believe it's true. It's because I've experienced the transforming power of Jesus in my life, in my family's life, in my life as a father, in my life as a husband, in my life as a human being. And I'm, I'm still a saint who sins. But I believe that many of us are at this kind of crossroads where before we get into the ownership and the surrender, we actually need to honestly just have a moment of confessing our faith in Jesus to say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you are the one who does this work in me. I do believe that you are the new Adam. I do believe that I can be baptized into this new life. And I invite you and exhort you and encourage you to walk in this newness of life. Would you pray with me? Father God, Thank you for Romans 6. Thank you for this reminder. And I pray, Lord, as we close this service and we sing, I surrender all. Lord, these words are so rich, but I've, I remember someone said, when we sing that song, we're just a bunch of liars because we don't really surrender all. But yet, Lord, we can join in praying, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I surrender, help me surrender all. Lord, we know that we are called to live the good life that is found in you. And I pray, Lord, that as, as we listen to this, as we reflect on what you're speaking into our families, into our lives, I pray, God, that you would help us to surrender. And as we respond in worship, may this be our confession of faith in you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.